0: Turn together now to Paul's first letter to Thessalonians, to chapter number 3, and at verse 11. First Thessalonians 3, at verse 11. This is Paul's prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. As we do for you, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. We want to continue in a study of learning lessons from the prayers of Paul. And we noticed in the morning the importance of prayer and prayer under the perspective of, of the second coming of the Lord Jesus and understanding what the Word of God says with regard to where we are and where we are going and recognising what our need for prayer is. Prayer is, in many ways, it is the heartbeat of the, the church of the Lord Jesus in the world and if we are part of that, we will have that same heartbeat ourselves. We saw last week from uh, Second Thessalonians the, uh, the way in which uh, Paul uh, relates to this uh, church. We uh, saw the way in which in Acts chapter 17 he was responsible for uh, planting this church and for bringing the gospel to it. And in this letter, in the first letter, we see the way in which they received the gospel because it came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance or with much conviction. And he spent some time there with them in early AD 50. So his relationship with the church in Thessalonica is one that is really personal. And in uh, the second letter last week, we we saw the way in which he is praying for them and the way in which we have a framework of grace for focus of his prayer and he understood where they were. He understood their needs and his prayer was for their perfection in the presence of God. His prayer for them was one of thankfulness that they had come so far, that they had developed in their faith, that they were where they should be. A remarkable expression of thankfulness that as he measured them in these 12 months that they were where they should be. And that kind of begs the question, what was it that made Paul's prayer for them successful? What was it that left this church 12 months later in a state, in a situation for which Paul gave thanks and could see that they had come from where they were and were kept and were persevering And were faithful. What is it that made his prayer successful? Well tonight we want to consider the answer to that question and we want to see from uh, this uh, this chapter especially and especially from the end of the chapter we want to see the success of prayer and a passion for people. And unless we have people in our hearts Prayers will be largely meaningless. Well, first of all, to, to see the passion. Paul, we understand at the beginning of this chapter, he is in Athens, a place where he, where he struggled because of the idolatry there. We, we know that he wrote this letter from Corinth where he was there struggling and where at, at one point in, in his life in Corinth, He was ready to shake the dust from his clothes. He couldn't take any more because of of what he was suffering for the gospel. He was ready to depart. And God said to him, don't be afraid, Paul. Go and continue speaking and preaching the gospel. And because of God's intervention, he carried on for another 18 months where he thought his ministry there would no longer be meaningful or could be continued. And so in that location and in that background, we see something of Paul's emotion. The emotion that tells us his relationship with this church in Thessalonica. And we see that emotion especially coming before us, in chapter number 2, where we start reading at verse number 17. He is not in Thessalonica, but being away from Thessalonica, since we were torn away from you, brothers, That there is the sense of, of, of rupturing and of tearing apart that Paul feels in his heart that he cannot be where he would want to be because of circumstances but the, the, the intensity of the way in which he is engaged with his people he has them he says to them he's separate from, from them in person, but not in heart endeavouring the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face he has such a love for them that he wants to be with them he wants to sit across the table with them To sit in a room with them. And he wants to to continue to speak the gospel to them. He can love them in his heart where he is. But that's no substitute for him being present with them. And for ourselves, as those who are praying, people who are praying for those who are in need and who are praying to God for them in their needs there is a sense in which we must have this kind of passion that brings us alongside those for whom we are praying. Of of course, we we cannot do that as we pray for the wider church in the world. But if if we are in a meaningful way going to pray for those whom we know that necessitates that we will Be with them and see them face to face. And that is something that in our day and generation has become more challenging. We have come from an era and from a heritage where it was the natural thing to see one another face to face every day, to speak the gospel in each other's homes, to speak the gospel over the boundary fence, to be face-to-face with people. We were passionate about each other. We had each other in our hearts, and we could go and pray for each other because we had the face-to-face contact. But today, in a day that is full of social media and all that's connected to it, there's a day when we have become unsociable and when we have lost that that very face-to-face experience with those around us, those whom we love and those for whom we should be praying. And we have to try and and resurrect that passion for one another so that we do see each other, so that we are with each other and so that we can share the gospel with each other. And because of that, we see that, that that Paul being separated, we see that in verse number 5 of chapter 3, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, it had become insufferable, unbearable. He couldn't stand any longer being apart from them and not hearing anything about them. And in that unbearable situation, and because he couldn't, He made arrangements for someone else to go and find out. Timothy, I can't do it. I can't go. You go in my place because you and I together must find out about the people of Thessalonica. And go, sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your labor would be in vain. There was a love for them. There was a passion for them. It was emotional, but it was also completely spiritual. It was the love of a father for his children. It was the engagement that he had with them, where he wanted to learn about their faith. He wanted to know firsthand how their faith was working or if their faith had stopped working. For fear that some of the tempter had tempted you and your labor would be in vain. There is the fear and there is the outcome. There is the fear that Satan would have teased them away from the gospel. Done the serpent thing. Who deceived even the garden done the same with them in Thessalonica, that in the midst of their suffering in the midst of their affliction, that Satan would tease them away from their faith, tempt them away from their faith, because to to persuade them that what they were suffering was incompatible with their faith, and from there to see that their labor would be in been that their faith would come to nothing. That was his great fear. His love for them was such that he was focused entirely on, on their development in the faith, that growing up in the faith, and not allowing what happened to them in life to result in them abandoning their faith. It was a fact-finding mission because of his fear for them that their faith would fail. His passion for them. And our passion that is going to underlie our prayers must go to that same extent that we go from uh, being familiar with each other, from knowing and sharing with each other, that we go from there to, to the very nerve center of the life of faith and to know each other's life, to know each other's faith, whether faith has begun, whether faith is growing and developing, or whether faith is in danger of vanishing, whether indeed As Paul feared, when their coming to faith turned out to be something that wasn't genuine and that that was proved in in their falling away from the faith because of their affliction. The need to have people in our hearts, to have a passion for them in our prayer and We see that that because of that passion, the the kind of of ground for successful prayer is being said. And we we see that Paul and sending out Timothy, we see that from the message that he brings back to Paul, we see that he finds relief. In verse number six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. First of all, they have the same passion for him as he has for them. And what comfort that has! For Paul, his reputation is being threatened. He's being slandered in a way in, in chapter number two. He has been accused of, of not being faithful to the gospel himself. And he has been accused of avoiding coming to them. And he's concerned about his personal relationship with them. Because that is so central to his ongoing ministry to them. And so the news comes back that you always remember us kindly. That you long to see us as we long to see you. The necessity for there be to be that, that culture of prayer that is going to find a hearing in the presence of God that there is that reciprocal passion that we have love for one another, that we, that we share a concern for each other, and through all of that he was also comforted because of their faith, the good news of your faith and interestingly, the word that Paul uses when he speaks of bringing good news of your faith and love. That he is comforted by that. The word that Paul uses is the word for the good news of the gospel. You Eugulizo. It's the good news of the gospel that's come to him. It brings us to where he is thinking about them. The good news, yes, that they have passion for him. But especially it's gospel good news in the spirit of the gospel, he was concerned to learn about them. And it is is the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that the gospel which he preached to them wasn't preached in vain, as he was concerned in verse number five, but that instead it was successful. And because of that, he is comforted. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Coming alongside Paul where he was, came Timothy with his news and his life was so bound up in theirs that he found great comfort in hearing about where they were. And that sense of comfort that is gospel-centered is the one which binds together all the pieces of our prayer life and brings us to that place where we can pray for each other, to have that up-to-date news that comes from our understanding of each other and that brings us to be informed enough about each other to go into the presence of God and to pray for one another. The passion. Secondly, there is a persuasion. And we see in verse number 9 that Paul expresses his joy. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? Paul has so much joy in his heart that he cannot find a way of expressing it. He wants to express it, but he struggles to find a way to do so. For what thanksgiving can we return? God. It speaks of the whole area of friendship, that friends repay each other for favors that were given. That was the understanding of friendship in the day of the church in Thessalonica. Friends regularly repay each other for gifts received according to the terms of their friendship. And here is Paul interestingly not asking what he can do to them in return, but what can he do with regard to God, what can we return to God for you? It's the the, the spirit of prayer come, comes through in us in his joy. You, you, you've answered my prayer and 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 here is the people that that are staying loyal in their faith and what can I give to you, go Lord? I want to give myself to them because of the joy that I have but I feel obligated to give something back to you and when he comes to that place he comes to the place where he cannot do anything because what can he do or give back to God, other than his prayers. It's a sense of indebtedness to God for the joy that he feels for them. And that's a marvelous place to come to, in our persuasion to pray for one another, that we have such a a relationship that spills over into joy in our own hearts, that brings us into the presence of God and Lord, what can we give you because of them? How moving it would be for all of us tonight to have that sense of of coming into the presence of God for each other. Lord, what can I give you for him or for her? And for he and her to say, what can I give him, give you because of him? That sense of obligation and thankfulness before God. The joy that we feel. The thankfulness. John Stott, in commenting on this passage and trying to explain this kind of joy, he says, This my answer is that this is the language of parents who are separated from their children, who miss them dreadfully. And are profoundly anxious when they have had no recent news of them. Pastoral love is is parental love. That is its quality. And you sense how you get there. If, If we love as parents, if we love as brothers and sisters, if we have that natural love we haven't heard for some time. And the news comes back. Yes, we're doing well. Yes, we're, the things are prospering with us in life. Yes, we're okay. And the relief and the joy. And you want to, to go into God's presence and to thank God for that. It's a parental thing. It's a, it's a family thing. And here tonight we, we are asked to To sense what this means, what this persuasion means. What this joy in one another can bring about. And it brings about in Paul's life the practice of prayer. He is persuaded to pray for them because of the passion he has for them. And of the passion they have for him. And in, in verse number 10, we, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. The persuasion to pray, to come into the presence of God, and in this case, to pray not in the general way, but to pray in the particular way that's looking at our particular need and that in the light of that particular need goes into the presence of God. And it reminds us that it is only in the passion that he had for the people of Thessalonica, it's only because of the knowledge he had of them that he could go with his particular petition into the presence of God. He could be gentle in his prayer But now he can be particular. He's direct into the presence of God in the light of their singular need at this time. And so he goes to pray earnestly. It's a sense of going over and above and beyond that which is abundant. And it uses words that give expression to us of the fullness of his heart. Let's take an abundance of something and let's go beyond that and above that and make our prayer something that's super abundant in its earnestness. It's a, it's a whole heart. That's, it's a heart that's stretched out with love and a heart that's filled with joy. And that heart comes into the presence of God with a real earnest heartfelt, full of being, prayer for them. And that he may see them face to face. He can't get over his emotional involvement with them. His primary object is to see them. Uh, But his ultimate purpose is that he may supply what is lacking in their faith that he may fill up the gaps that the report that he has received that the faith has not failed it's it's so encouraging but but in in that picture of their of their faith there are gaps which need to be filled there are gaps which leave them exposed and he wants to be able to see them, that he may fill up these gaps. And we we may think of gaps as, as the word suggests, we may think of gaps as a net that is torn, and supplying the needs of of the net is to repair the net, to repair the holes in the net. We can think of supplying the need as repairing breaches in a wall, the wall that keeps our hearts secure. That when there are breaches in that wall, there are gaps. And his prayer is that he may supply what is lacking. That he may build up these walls. Keep their faith secure. Plug the the leaks. Fill the gaps. Supply what is lacking in their faith. His persuasion to come and to pray for them with that ultimate purpose to bring them on in their faith. We saw in Second Thessalonians that the prayer was successful and here it is. Here, is the, here are the circumstances. Here is the heart from which that prayer emerged. A prayer that seeks to supply what was lacking and in our knowledge of one another. We need to know what it is to encourage one another in the faith. And we also need to know what it is to recognize the gaps in each other's faith. And to do that with grace. And to do that with prayer. And we can do that when we have the passion that Paul had for people in his heart. None of us have a faith which is perfect. But there is a way of pointing out gaps in our faith and there is a way of not doing it. And here Paul finds that way of of speaking about his own love for them and his joy before God and explaining to them that he wants to bring them on. It's the father wanting children to develop. It's the father wanting the children to learn the lessons, to fill up these gaps in, in the way that they live life so that they can develop. It's the persuasion to be in the presence of God. The persuasion. And finally, the perfection. Verses 11 to 12 is Paul launching into his prayer as he writes to them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He begins with something, with a request that is entirely subjective. In other words, he wants something for himself. And what he wants for himself is understandable because of the way in which he knows these people and has a love for them in his heart. He wants God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, addressing them in particular, to direct our way to you, to take away every obstacle from our path to open up the way, to be our guide, to lead us along the way so that there will be no deviations and no distractions and no stopping anywhere until we get to where we want to be. And in the book of Acts, we, we have God in so many ways as the director of evangelism. And Paul recognizes that God is the director of everything. And God the Father and the Lord Jesus To direct his way to them. To see you face to face. To be with you. That is his prayer. He wants to be with them. And he moves from that to look at the way in which he prays for their perfection. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do. he has. They have love for each other. And we spoke in the morning about the important characteristic of the children of God loving one another. It is natural for the children of God or spiritual for the children of God to love one another. Because they have the same father. And they have the same Holy Spirit in their hearts. And here is... Is Paul praying that the Lord, as Jesus, may increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. There is increasing and there is abounding. There is the sense of, of living growth and organic growth. There's a sense of, of growing out of, 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 from the roots of the love which is in their hearts, growing up in that way. And along with that, there is the sense of abounding, that is overflowing uh, to them. So there is a sense of where this love originates, and there is the sense of how this love flows from them to others, uh, and how they are to abound in love for one another and for all, as Paul did for them and tonight in our prayer for for perfection for one another, and our desire to, to see our faith developing day by day, there is this prayer, this desire for love, for one another, to to so grow and increase and superabound. And that means that our own lives are to be lived from the life that there is in our union with the Lord Jesus. He is the one to whom Paul prays, and only as we are living in, living in Him with a sense of, of vitality, with a sense of lively growth, only then can our love overflow to to others. It's a prayer that, that Paul prays for them knowing that this is something that they need to be that they need and that he will pray for all the days of their lives it's something that's constant in the life of the people of God and their perfection depends in many ways on their love for one another so growing and so abounding in this way for each other and for all as we do for you. It's a love that goes, Beyond the church in Thessalonica, it's a love that goes to all of the people of God, and it's a love that reaches out to to pray for all those who are not yet the people of God. It's a force that lives in their hearts because of their relationship with Jesus, and it's a power that overflows into the lives of others around them and beyond, and along with that there is that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and our Father to establish their hearts where they are going to do all of their loving where they are going to do all of their learning where they are going to receive the the message and the teaching of the gospel where they are going to do all of their choosing in their daily lives, their hearts established, made to stand firm, made to live and be strong, stand unshakable. When we were in New York and and visited Ground Zero and uh, did a tour of, of that whole area with with a guide. This guide was living two or three blocks away from, from the Twin Towers when they fell. And he could see out the window the way in which the, the Twin Towers were first of all hit by the planes, and then the way in which the Twin Towers began to wobble on the horizon and then simply collapsed straight down. They didn't stand firm. Because of the attack on them. But Paul here is praying that. That faith won't be like that. That no matter how. The enemy will attack their faith. No matter that the power. Or the intelligence. With with which their faith will be attacked. That they will. Be established firm in their hearts. And stand upright. On their journey. Through this life. And upright at last before our God and Father. Stand upright without shame before God. Blameless in holiness. Blameless, shameless. It's the sense of being before God with the complete work of transformation, of making holy of, of sanctification with that work being complete. And Paul prays in Second Corinthians 7 for the very same thing, that their holiness would be brought to completion by the fear of the Lord. It's living in the presence of God and their hearts established, blameless and holiness as those who live their lives in the presence of God, who are transformed by being in his presence and to go forward to appear before him as those who have been changed by him on their journey. And there is a sense in which holiness is not so much about standing in the presence of God and being filled with fear and a sense of the power of God. It's more to do with the wonder that we can stand with awe in the presence of such a great and holy God. And John speaks in similar terms when he speaks of the way in which that we will not shrink from him with shame at his coming. To stand firm. It's one thing to to stand firm in the face of the trials of our faith and the way in which the enemy attacks us in seeking to stand established. But what a a much more wonderful thing to, to stand established in their hearts in the presence before the face of God. He longs to see them face to face. They long to see him face to face. But his prayer ultimately is their perfection, that they will see God face to face in Jesus Christ and not be ashamed. That will be awesome. Awesome. To be aware of of his power and his glory and and his otherness and his holiness. But not need to to run away and and hide for fear of of being destroyed. But instead, to go with the people of God and, and to worship this God and to sing the song of the Lamb that is in the midst of the throne as if he had been slain, the Lamb who leads his people into fountains of living waters. to be engaged with God in that end-time worship which will go on forever, having your hearts established, blameless in holiness. May God grant us that prayer for one another. May God grant to us that recipe for prayer which made Paul's prayer for these churches successful and may we seek each other's development every day and may we pray that together we will stand awestruck before the glory of God in that day when he will welcome his people to inherit the kingdom that he has prepared for them. May God bless his word let us pray. Most gracious God, we bow before you, you are the Lord, our God, and we seek that you will give to us in our hearts to love your great and holy name, to give to us in our hearts to love one another, to give to us in our hearts to have the passion with which we would truly come and cry to you as our God, to come and to bless, to come and to protect and keep, and to come and to make perfect. Uh, in that great day when you shall gather your people, when uh, you will come with your saints uh, to be glorified in them. Oh, bless your word to us, we pray, and accept us and hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.